Bell Saint is a recording artist and songwriter, and perhaps the epitome of a rising star. Her music is receiving glowing accolades, and her recent release, Karma, was just ranked number 6 in Elle Magazine's Top 10 Songs of 2018. She's worked with some of the top artists and producers in the industry, and her raw talents as a performer and songwriter are undeniable. But Belle Saint hasn't always had the confidence that you would expect from an artist of her caliber. She didn't just burst on the scene, she's been working her way through the music industry for years, writing for television, film, commercials, and other artists. So what's changed between then and now? While the shy, hesitant Belle Saint of the past shared her words, now, she's sharing her voice. I'm Bobby Gonzalez, and this is Spoken Dreams. Hi, I'm Belle Saint. I am a recording artist and songwriter. I was born in Tyler, Texas. Uh, I started writing songs when I was about seven years old. I got a battery-operated Casio keyboard for Christmas, and my first song was about my cat, Skittles, and I think I just wrote about how she was my best friend and how fluffy she was. And um, I was obsessed with Elvis and Queen, and I loved pretty much every musical, pretty much anything that had drama or was flamboyant, I was obsessed with. I was put into ballet lessons. I think I was five or six. I thought I was a good dancer, but apparently I wasn't. I got kicked out of ballet for bad behavior, apparently. I <laughs> I talked the whole time and I was terrible with direction and I just kind of did my own interpretation to everything. So because I got kicked out of ballet, my parents put me into piano lessons and I loved it. My first song that I did for a piano recital was Beethoven's for Elise and my piano teacher was constantly frustrated with me because I would try to improve the melodies and I would just edit certain melodies because I would say well that just it makes it a better melody and I was a brat and thought I knew everything. I started taking voice lessons when I was 15 years old, I wanted to start being trained classically, and Mrs. Kerfman was my voice lesson teacher, and she was very passionate about music, and her passion was very contagious. In high school, I did a lot of musicals. I was a dork, and I didn't really care, and I played Lori in Oklahoma. I was the witch in Into the Woods, and it was a blast. I did a lot of sight reading competitions for singing and I really loved every minute of it and I was really competitive and just wanted to be the best I could possibly be. I went to college at UT Austin. UT Austin offered a program that was you could spend a semester in Los Angeles and you could still take classes online and get credit for them. And I had already been wanting to move to Los Angeles anyway, but was didn't really know what that looked like. And so this was a perfect opportunity. I remembered thinking, there's no way my parents are gonna let me move out here 
and drop out of college. So I'm going to have to kind of ease into this. So when I went, I had an internship with a UT Austin alum who was a talent manager. And I interned for him um, all the while taking classes online through UT Austin, working as a hostess at Saddle Ranch, uh, living the dream. As an intern for a talent agent, I was basically just getting coffee and helping staple headshots. And I remembered looking at all the headshots and going, oh my gosh, these people are 18 and they've a lot of, I mean, they were actors, but even the musicians and the, and the recording artists that were out there, they were starting at 17, 18. And I was, you know, 20, 21, I think. And I remembered going, I need to get out here now. If I really want to compete and be really good and successful, I need to get out here as soon as possible. So I really, really uh, worked hard at making contacts. I remember I made contacts with two different producers who wanted to work with me. And so I told my parents, I'm just going to stay for a few more months, you know, see if this plays out, see how this plays out. And then I'll go back to school after a few more months. But I knew in my head that I was going to stay in L.A. and I wasn't going to go back to Austin. I remembered even when I was moving to Los Angeles, there was a part of me that kind of had one foot in and one foot out and was nervous to see how I would do. I was really, uh, really insecure because I wasn't really prepared for how difficult being a woman in Los Angeles would be and especially in the music industry and in the in the entertainment industry in general. I think I naively just thought music would be more about music and less about sex appeal and I was uh, constantly told that my voice was too masculine and that I needed to keep it sexy or that it wasn't sexy enough and I was so terrified that people would find out I was a dork (laughs) and that I wasn't enough so I didn't I was really shy and held back a lot because I wanted people to think I was cool and I wanted to have some kind of mystery and I didn't want them to find out that I was a insecure dork who just wanted to play and write music I remembered I played my first show, playing my first original music at The Mint. It was my first official show in Los Angeles, and I was so nervous. And the entire time I stared at the keyboard, and I was shaking, and I I did not do well. I remember being so discouraged because I thought I was just going to come out of the gate being amazing. And I just remembered thinking... If I'm really going to do this, I'm probably going to have a lot of other shows just like this, but ultimately it came down to there's nothing else that I really want to be doing, so I really need to full-on raise the stakes and just put everything I have into this. I went to a lot of live shows. I went to... I was at Hotel Cafe, a really great venue for independent artists. I was there all the time, basically just harassing artists to see if they wanted to write together. And I think my ignorance in how the music industry worked actually 
helped me because I was very brave and didn't really know how it worked. I signed up for ASCAP, the American Society for Composers and Publishers, and I really got connected in the songwriting community there. They really took me under their wing and really helped me, helped set up a lot of great writing sessions. And one of the writing sessions I was in, the song ended up getting into the movie trailer for Kate Hudson's film, A Little Bit of Heaven. I was so excited and I was with my two co-writers at the time and they both had already had a lot of success with having their songs in the media and this was my first time so I was trying to play it cool but I was also really really excited and I cried when I saw it for the first time because I cry a lot. I remembered feeling confirmation of what I already kind of knew inside. I knew that I had potential, I knew that I had what it took to be successful, but that first time that you have confirmation from the industry, it's it's really encouraging and it really meant a lot and kind of gave me a little more momentum to keep going. I started dating a music manager who also worked in music licensing. I remembered there was a song that got into a Target commercial and I remembered hearing the song and going, well, I can do that. So I started a side project where I just wrote for, specifically for commercials and um, trailers and um, TV and film. And it did well. I got a song in a video game. Um, I did a song for a Marc Jacobs perfume ad. And it was around this time, a producer that I had worked with was working with Giorgio Moroder, the father of disco himself, and uh, Giorgio wanted to collaborate on a song, and we uh, collaborated on a song together, and I sang on it with him, and the song ended up getting on a Volkswagen Super Bowl commercial in 2014, which was incredible. And then at the time, I started working with producer David Hodges, who's written a ton of hits for Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, Christine Aguilera. I also ended up getting to work with Paul Williams, who is also a very incredible songwriter and and just an incredible human being. We wrote a song together, and I remember his lyrics just being so poetic. Everything he said was something I wanted to write down and remember forever. And during that time, I wrote um, I wrote a song for a Marc Jacobs uh, perfume ad. I did a song for Vampire Diaries and a Christmas song for Pretty Little Liars. And I was very, very grateful for the doors it was opening and for financially, I was grateful. But I will say, artistically, I felt... I felt kind of like a sellout <laughs> because I was my objective when I was writing was to make money. It wasn't really the stakes weren't really high for me. I wasn't really digging into what made me unique as an artist. It felt like I figured out the pop formula and the formula that made money and I just kind of stuck with it and everything I wrote felt safe and and flaccid and I went on a nationwide tour with Stephen Kellogg opening for him and I remembered so many of the shows 
just being so bored and seeing pictures back and not feeling like my brand or my songs were a good indication of me as a person. I felt like I could have been digging deeper and really creating something that was more unique. I, I remembered playing a showcase at Sundance and there was a drummer there that heard some of my songs and he was like, I love your music. I would love to send your music to this management company in New York called Primary Wave. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I was kind of dead inside at the moment and kind of used to empty promises and was just kind of like, sure, whatever. And then I got a call from this manager in New York and he was really excited to work together and was really impressed with a lot of the work that I was doing. And so he started setting up these really big writing sessions for me with some artists that had just gotten signed. And there was um, a big artist that I can't say, but was interested in cutting one of my songs. So right off the bat, it was really encouraging and exciting. At the time, I was working as a concierge at this high-rise building, and I got a call from my manager saying, hey, we just met with Natalie Ambrulia, and she loves your work, and she's working on a new album, and she wants to write with you and work with you on some of the songs on her new album, and she wants you to come to London and work with her. And I was like, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. And... Then on my lunch break, sure enough, I had a voicemail from Natalie Ambrulia, and she was lovely, and I was so excited and intimidated because I was obsessed with her album, Left of the Middle, growing up, and I got off work and gave her a call, and we just talked about what kind of songs she was wanting to go for, where she was at creatively, and what she kind of wanted to say. I remember uh, her saying, you know, I don't know if any of my ideas are good, but, you know, I just want to go with it. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And I, she sounded kind of surprised that I was just kind of rolling with it. So she told Primary Wave she wanted to work with me. I got to fly to London. She was kind enough to let me stay in her guest bedroom. And every morning we would walk over to Notting Hill, we would have coffee and breakfast, and then we would just go in her living room and write a song and talk about life. And I really learned a lot from her as an artist and also just as a woman in the entertainment industry. I was really surprised that someone at her level and her caliber of artistry had just some of the stories she was telling me. It was really empowering and encouraging as an artist. That trip that I took to London, I was starting to be so immersed in the actual art, and I was feeling really empowered by these artists that were so unapologetically themselves. I always had the desire to be an artist in my own right, but for a long time I let my insecurity hold me back, and it was a lot easier for me to kind of hide behind another artist and just give them the words, give them the melodies, and not have to face the critique. It was really great to get out of LA, and I 
started feeling really empowered and ready to get back to LA and to start just going for it more as an artist and less as a songwriter. So I remembered coming back to LA and I was set up on a writing session with a female producer and songwriter named Adrian Gonzalez. And I remembered writing with her and there was no pressure to be something that I wasn't. There was no focus on keeping it sexy. And it was very authentic and very real and very raw. And it was all about the songs and the emotion. And the songs that I wrote with her, I really felt like there was something special there. And I asked her if she just wanted to write more for my own artist project. And in my head, I thought she was going to say no and that she, you know, was only wanting to write for signed artists. But she was really excited to work together. And so we wrote a few songs together for my own artist project. And I remembered playing them for my management company, Primary Wave, kind of expecting them to not respond or just to kind of laugh it off. And they were really enthusiastic and really supportive. And so I was really encouraged to just kind of be myself and just to really open up in my songs and really dig into create unique songs that if I died tomorrow nobody else could say what I said something that could only come from me that mattered I hadn't played a show as an artist in a year and primary way of set up a showcase for me and it was in a tiny room there were no microphones and it was just me and a drummer and a keyboard player and there were about 20 people in the room and there were a lot of head execs there they were about five feet away from my face and I was so nervous I remember doing three shots of vodka because I was just trying to feel normal I sang the songs well but they could tell that I was not confident and I stuttered incoherently in between every song and the feedback from that was basically what I had kind of already known, which was, we love the songs, she's got a great voice, she seems like she needs to feel more comfortable, and she doesn't seem comfortable on stage, which was true, but at that time, instead of taking that as constructive, I, in my insecure state, took it as, well, this is confirmation that I'm just not good enough. Around that time, I left Primary Wave. They were great people. It just wasn't really a good fit. And I did a cover of an R.E.M. song called Losing My Religion, and Adrian Gonzalez produced that. So I released this cover of Losing My Religion, not really expecting anything to come of it. I released it under the artist name Bell, just B-E-L-L, because I was still figuring things out and I was still insecure. And the song ended up going number one on Hype Machine, which is an app that curates how many blogs are talking about you. And I had no budget, I had no label helping me, and all these blogs just started talking about it. That was incredible confirmation. And I wrote a song called Bang Bang, Remember My Name. And that song did really well and it ended up getting featured in the TV show Famous in Love, which was, again, really incredible to do all of this without any help from a label. 
I, I released the song Landmines, and I changed my artist name to Bell Saint, and that song ended up also getting placed in Famous in Love. And around this time, a very enthusiastic Australian publicist, <laughs> his name's Matt Dillon, not the actor, but the publicist, and uh, his partner, Marissa Hebert, found me, uh, contacted me and wanted to meet up and wanted to work together. And I, at the time, was like, I don't know if they know that I have a indie artist budget, which means I have nothing. And so I met with them. And they were so passionate and so excited and so confident. And um, they were willing to work with me. And when I started working with them, they were able to secure these incredible morning TV show spots. And one of the morning shows that I performed on in Vegas, uh, one of the hosts also works at a mainstream radio station in Vegas. And he loved my song Bang Bang so much that he was like, I don't care that you don't have a label, we're playing your song on the radio. And so they played Bang Bang on mainstream radio, which was another incredible thing. And I definitely cried when I heard it. So I ended up writing a song called Karma that I wrote about a really bad experience that I had with someone in the music industry. And so when we released Karma, uh, Refinery29 ended up listing it as number three for the best song lyrics of 2018 so far, which was an honor. And then Galore Magazine said uh, it was a necessary addition to the Me Too movement, which was empowering to hear as a woman. There's no room. Baby, karma's gonna get you, you, karma's gonna get you, you, watch out, you get what's coming, you know so, so hit the ground running, karma's gonna get Now I feel like I'm in a good place because I've just accepted as an artist there's just going to be some people who don't like my music and that's okay and I'm a weirdo and a dork and if you're wanting a Barbie who sings shiny pop songs then you're not gonna like my music <laughs> but I feel really empowered especially with the team that I have around me who believe in me and who believe in the music they push me to grow as an artist, they push me to grow as a person, they help me believe in myself, I feel comfortable in my own skin, and I'm excited for what's ahead. Baby, That was Belle Saint. If you want to hear more of her music, we'll have plenty of links up on our website at ktla.com slash spoken dreams. Right now you're hearing her song Karma, which is excellent. And hey, just a few days after Belle Saint and I sat down for this conversation, she got engaged to be married. So congratulations to her. Hey, I hope you're following along with the podcast on social media. I'm at Spoken Dreams Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can like the Spoken Dreams Facebook page. 
And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. That's all for this week. We have a brand new story for you next Monday. So until then, break a leg. There's no room for both of us in this town Baby Spoken Dreams is produced by me, Bobby Gonzalez, for the KTLA 5 News in Los Angeles. Executive producers are Olson Ebright and Jason Ball. And I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what you thought of this week's story, or even tell me your own story. You can shoot me an email at spokendreams at ktla.com. 